Hello, and welcome to the Magic for Realists podcast. This is the 51st, <laughs> ooh, that's hard to say, the 51st dose, and it's called Entry Points to Understanding Polyamory. It's a little bit of a mouthful. My name is Lindsay Celeste, and I'm making this podcast because I want to share with you some magic that I have found in the real world. And in the real world, I have had the privilege of having many different kinds of relationships, and they are one of the places where I've encountered that intersection between emotional and spiritual, psychological well-being, and the physical world, the stuff that I can touch. And I explore that intersection between magic, the unseen realms, the things we can influence and the things that are marvelous and the real world, the experience of our bodies and what we can touch here on this podcast. And I'm making this particular episode because I have some experience with polyamory in open relationships and I spoke about it a bit in some of the last episodes. Uh, Two episodes ago was a focus on that and in thinking more about it, I've realized I have some more kind of like theoretical background to give you. Uh, But I want to ground this theory in some anecdotes. And just I called it entry points because I want to share some of the the ways you could start to if you have never conceptualized how polyamory is like possible as a beautiful good thing I want to get it's this is like a bunch of of doors and some doors will feel like doors to to that understanding I am not as I've said before like evangelist I'm not I'm not trying to convince you of one relationship style over the other uh, at all I I have experience in polyamorous relationships. I am currently in a monogamous relationship and I believe there's a beautiful time and place for all sorts of different permutations. And that so far our cultural norms, like what is most common, has been a pretty standard narrative involving monogamy as far as what we are supposed to do. And I believe that a lot of how we understand intimate relationships is under questioning and revision right now in at least in our kind of western culture which is the one i'm speaking from and so i want to add to that conversation about how relationships can look and i guess i want to I want to give you some of these doors. Hopefully you will peer inside, not necessarily by practicing this, but just by allowing yourself to maybe just come to a bit more understanding of how this could be possible. Because I believe that, yeah, this whole intimate relationship thing needs some revision. And so I think that experimenting and questioning and trying things out outside of the 
monogamous norm is part of our cultural uh yeah exploration and has something important to contribute to the conversation so i have quite a bit to cover today i think this episode will probably be a little bit longer and uh it also relates to sex so i suggest um yeah you know user discretion advised <laughs> yes user discretion advised uh so here we go so i believe we're questioning the norms in our in intimate relationships in our society like what are intimate relationships for in the past they've been for child rearing which now can and does happen without two partners uh even the way that reproduction technology i might say is advancing means that you know it doesn't take a man and a woman in a marriage to make a baby and i think that's adding a huge practical element to this questioning and even disintegrating of the norm previously marriages which in the classic sense is a man and a woman in a long-term committed monogamous live together relationship was also for protection and provision particularly of the woman so if you think of you know a few centuries ago women didn't have as many rights to own property to vote to have jobs and so a single woman an unmarried woman was more vulnerable so marriage was a way of security very practical security it was also about old age security that if you had children there would be somebody to look after you to do the jobs to grow food for you when you got older we now have a lot more kind of state institutional ways of doing that so single or childless people to some extent still get taken care of when they're older ah uh, this is all of these reasons are are still at play but i want to point them out because they they were stronger forces in the past than they are now and marriage was a way to <clears throat> secure sex to make sure you got some and there's a lot more ways to do that now there's a lot more freedom to like it's less frowned upon to have sex outside of marriage there's frick there's dating apps for that you know like or sexing apps sexting apps anyways apps for sex uh so there's lots of other ways to get sex other than being married and marriage was also a way to live with somebody and to share the responsibilities of running a house and there's lots of other ways to do that now there's roommate situations there's cohabitation there's smaller dwellings like you can actually live in a tiny apartment and have no yard to tend and no you know homestead situation so that's changed and but the underlying parts of this of these reasons child rearing protection security old age security sex and cohabitation are still part of what 
influences, I think, our expectation that marriage is a beneficial thing to enter into. However, we also know from the world around us and maybe our own experience that marriages are declining. They are, you know, not lasting, not happening as often. Less people get married, less people stay married. And I think that that's part of this whole society questioning and that the the reasons why we got married before are less powerful. So that brings us to why would marriages classically be monogamous? This is the untechnical, I mean, like, I'm just giving you like the layperson's me theorizing. If you want a more in-depth look at some of the theories behind this, there's several books. The most kind of well-known is one called Sex at Dawn that looks at some of earlier history of human behavior. There's disagreement over the research involved in that book and the way it was treated, but it's a classic and I think has some important points to consider. One of them being that monogamy, one of the main reasons for it, so why two people would want to lock down, like as in get, be guaranteed that they're only having sex with each other, is about paternal certainty. So it's about males wanting to know who their children are. This is pre-DNA testing. So it's pretty obvious who gives birth to a, a baby. However, it's less obvious who the father is. So if you want to be sure who your kids are as a male, then you want to make sure that you're, that the woman you're having sex with is only having sex with you so you know that her kids that come out of her body are a result of you. And this matters if you want to pass on property. So in one telling of history, one of the monogamy is linked to capitalism and the private ownership of property because you need to know who your kids are so you can pass down stuff. <laughs> so you can, you know, not be generous to everybody but only pass it down to your your children. This is a very simplistic telling, but I think it bears consideration of how ownership and sex have been linked. So the ownership of property needing to go to a specific child and how women have been basically the property of men like owned by but also like a con a marriage is a contract it's still a freaking contract it's still like a legal contract if you get legally married and you want to get legally divorced there's like a contractual thing that has to happen it's like it's like a legal thing with lawyers <laughs> i still find this quite amazing that that like there's lawyers in in bed you know like anyways so marriage has this classic marriage has this ownership component of like the sexual rights to another person. And this is one of the ideas that polyamory either questions or full out disagrees with or protests is the notion that 
one person can or should have sexual ownership of another person's sexuality, that they should have like exclusive rights to it. In its most beautiful form, I see monogamy as a mutual commitment to devotion and not not in an ownership way, but in a, a joint partnership of deciding that this focus is going to create something else really beautiful and desirable. And maybe, like, I'm not suggesting that paternal certainty is is like a bad or an evil thing. It's like, it it can be really, it makes sense biologically, especially if you want to uh, like give preferential treatment to your offspring. However, there might be other ways of doing this. There might be other ways of rearing children more collectively. There might be ways of sharing property like stuff and land that maybe it's interesting to consider that if we owned less, we might be able to hold our sexual connections more openly, like not flippantly, but we might be able to share more that as the rise of private property and private ownership increases, we have very little practice in sharing. And so of course, sharing a sexual partner is hard often to conceive of, like hard to picture how that could, how we could ever share comfortably. Yeah. So I want to give you some entry points in how to kind of like wrap your head around how it could be possible. So how it could be possible to be ethically intimate with more than one person concurrently. So that's what I'm meaning by polyamory, that it's like ethical and known, like nobody's lying, nobody's hiding, and at least one person is in simultaneous intimate relationships with more than one person. One of the underlying principles I believe lies in the heart of polyamory and definitely does for me is the notion that love is expansive. That love is is like a force to be reckoned with and a force that can can grow and a force that kind of bends around I almost want to say bends around time and space that that it has its own I guess its own logic and that it's not that love is not something that we start off with a certain amount of and if we give it away we don't have it anymore I I was taught growing up that this sort of image like like I if you imagine my heart like a pie and there was only so many slices and if I gave a piece of it to somebody there was less less pie for the next person and I don't believe that anymore <laughs> I think love is a dynamic force and that yes when I love somebody it changes me 
and and yet I don't think it's limited in that way that if I give love to one person I have less love to give another person. I do think that there are limitations involved in intimate relationships. For example, time and square footage and gestation periods in a womb and other things. But I don't think that love, like the the energetics of caring as I experience it in my heart is a limited has a limited like ceiling that it reaches because I have felt my heart expand. It feels like a physical expansion of like I've got my hand over my heart like it feels like that chakra has at different times stretched and like inflated and gotten gotten so there is more room as if it's like a house I could keep building additions onto. <laughs> so that's a core principle I feel to polyamory is the notion that love is expansive and abundant. And another one is that one person, that it is a, a lot and pretty much impossible to ask of one person to fulfill all our needs. And that there's a danger in limiting ourselves completely to one person. I I still agree with this in the sense that I think a, a rich and fulfilled and balanced life includes different connections with a bunch of people and not just one person. And I think this understanding is important, even in a monogamous relationship, that there may be some devotion of who, who is fulfilling, for example, all our sexual needs in a monogamous sense, but that we have other needs for intimate conversations, for inspiration, for support, and that those, we do well to source those from a collection of people. And this is one of the lessons I think that polyamory and people who have experienced it can share with monogamous folks is the reminder that depending on one person for everything is too much and is disastrous. Yeah, so I think we've all come in contact with some of the ways in which we are already close to being polyamorous. So I'm going to offer some of these as as these entry points. One is that we are very familiar with the expansive nature of love if we have siblings or have children. That when parents have more children, they don't have less love. They do have maybe less time and less square footage, but that, that that's an example of this expansive nature of love. You may have experienced serial monogamy, where like one after another, you have relationships, sexual, intimate combinations with one person, and then maybe even shortly after with another person and another person. And if you've ever felt like still kindly and loving towards a previous partner while moving on to the next one, then you've kind of within your heart already experienced this polyamory feeling, this like ability to love more than one person at the same time. It's just that you weren't acting it out physically concurrently. Uh, on the less ethical side, the, the phenomena of affairs is very common. So there are lots of people, maybe you, who 
are simultaneously carrying on multiple intimate experiences or intimate relationships. And sometimes they're pulling it off without too much trouble. Sometimes, like sometimes it goes smoothly enough. Like when you hear a story of like the, the devastation of the reveal of an affair after X amount of months or years, I just want to point out that that means it was like working well enough for that length of time. I'm not purporting the, I'm not supporting the idea that this is a good way to go. I'm just pointing out that lots of people pull it off. Lots of people pull off multiple like simultaneous sexual relationships at once. And it goes well enough that like it doesn't end, you know? Uh, on another angle, you may be familiar with the sexual, having a periphery, what's the word? I'll just explain what I'm talking about. If you're in a monogamous relationship and one or both of you enjoys porn while in the monogamous relationship, either secretly or knowledgeably, then there's already a small element of somebody else being sexually involved. So like the one one person is, for example, watching other people have sex while in a monogamous relationship. So they may not be bodily participating like skin to skin with the person in, say, the film, but they might be having their own sexual experience while like watching another person. So that's like a few stages removed, but it's kind of on the same continuum as I see it as having sex with somebody else while you're in an intimate relationship with somebody else. You get where I'm going? Like if you're at home getting turned on by watching a movie, you're not having sex with them. And maybe your monogamous partner is fine with that, but it's, it's on the same continuum as if you were having sex with them. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Another way to think about this is that it's becoming increasingly common for people to have blended families would be one term. I've actually made a podcast about that term and my evolution from not liking it to liking it. In a blended family, by that I mean the the parents have split up and they still co-parent their children and sometimes they get together with somebody else, but it's an amiable situation. So in this case, the somebody is pulling off two amiable, like involved relationships. For example, if the father uh, has has a new partner, he's got the relationship with the mother of his children and the relationship with the new partner going at the same time. And this might not be sexual with both of them, but it still is connective and intimate in the sense of, you know, sharing time and space and schedules and children. So that's, that's a little bit towards a polyamorous configuration, especially if the, the man still holds his, the mother of his children in, in high regard and still loves her in a certain way. The last entry point I want to offer is about 
widowers or widows. I had an early, early as in early on in my explorations of polyamory, an experience with a man I'm going to call Felix that I think really influenced how I, how I understood love and the, the possibility for overlap. Felix was quite a few years older than me at the, well, at the time he would still be several years older than me. And when we went on a few dates, it was only three months after his wife had died. And I wasn't judging his grief process and how it worked. And I wasn't judging his timing or whether that was too soon or not. I was just rolling with it. And so there was one night that I spent in his bed. And it didn't get super sexy. But I... I knew, because it was either told or very clearly inferred, that I was the first woman who had slept in his bed and on that side of the bed since his wife had. And there was a picture of her on the wall, and I learned her name, and their son was downstairs sleeping in his little bed. He wasn't very old. And... I felt this very thin veil that, like, being in that place in bed where she had been and beside this man that she had loved and he had deeply loved her, I felt like this this warmth, this kind of almost humility, like, like I was honored to be there. And also, like, I wanted to meet her. I wanted to meet her and very clearly that that Felix still loved her the the only issue was that she wasn't alive anymore but the love was still there and and he was exploring who to love next it didn't end up being me but I felt so sure that he could hold love for his deceased wife and love for the next person he was with like that there was there was no issue and and that it was only time it was only time and the veil of death that made that not simultaneous and it that didn't feel very significant to me like that didn't feel very thick I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this way before but yeah it's it's very common for widows and widowers to, to love two people at once. And the, it's only death and time that are causing those to not be simultaneous. So phrased this way, polyamory is just the collapsing of that time to be overlapping. And I guess that's, that's one of the ways I see the difference between monogamy and polyamory. It's like, if, Instead of laying, oh, like if you have playing cards (laughs) and you lay them on the table like one and then the other so that they're, you know, you can see each one and they're separate, that would be like serial monogamy. And then to me, polyamory is like putting them, you know, like you're holding them in your hand and like some of them overlap. And that that's just the time factor that overlaps them. 
which is a very significant factor, I'll have you know. I'm just trying to give a few unusual ways to think about how polyamory is possible. One of the main th- uh, problems that people imagine would happen in open relationships or polyamory to me, open relationships can just be about sex and doesn't necessarily connotate love because it doesn't have that word in there. Um, but polyamory would mean many loves. Uh, that jealousy is like the, the, that's the first word. That's the big word. That's the, that's the like, that is the problem. <laughs> the main problem people imagine would happen. And... It's interesting to consider the difference between envy and jealousy. I'm not sure technically, but I think of envy as me wanting something that somebody else has and jealousy being almost more like I don't want them to have what they have. <laughs> uh, but both of these can happen in polyamorous open situations. And jealousy to me is a different beast to deal with if you have if you have a reason to deal with it um it's a it's a response that makes sense if you feel like there's a limited resource that you are missing out on like it's it can feel very survival actually like like it can feel like starvation like if there's only a limited amount of food and somebody else has it then like that's a hell of a problem But going back to one of those core, I would say, understandings in polyamory theory would be that maybe love isn't one of those. That maybe maybe somebody else getting love doesn't mean I get less. As I've said before, there are still limitations like time. And this is where clear communication is like the most important thing gentle, clear, honest communication so that hopefully everybody can get what what they need or at least have expectations and fulfillment reasonably on par. Jealousy factors into us really seeing the... So speaking as a woman, it would mean I would see the other woman as my enemy. So if my partner is interested or dating or sleeping with another woman, classically, that woman is my enemy. What I learned in my open relationship, specifically my longer one with Thomas, is that the most, I would say one of the, other than communication, but the link to it, the most important thing for like success, and by that I mean like, smooth, feels good, no collateral damage, you come out being like, yeah, that was a great idea. Let's do it again. The most important element for that to happen is for the, in my case, the women to get along. Like in the, whoever has the, so if you imagine like a triangle and, and the one person at the, at one point has, or a Y has the other two branches of their two lovers the relationship between the two people who are not sleeping together but are connected through the mutual person 
that relationship is called your paramour. So my lover, my lover's lover is my paramour. And it's a beautiful word. And when your paramour goes from being enemy to ally, that I have experienced as a phenomena and it is incredible. I've got to say that it felt so revolutionary, actually. It felt like, oh my God, this changes things. This changes things. This, like, this is a different way of doing it. And it felt like dangerous to the norm. Like, that this was going to shake shit up and change in a peaceful way what, what was possible. I didn't always pull this off. I wasn't always uh, friendly or allied with my paramours. Sometimes I never met them. Sometimes I met them and didn't like them. Sometimes I met them and worked things through. And, but when me and my paramour could, could talk, could connect, and could like realize but also feel that we were not enemies and that we were we were like on the same team the team of wanting to create more love more sexy times more fun in the world and to feel that we shared the attraction and connection with our like the the lover who was mutual between us that has uh, it's just a very strange, unusual, beautiful feeling. And to me, it was one of those stretching love phenomenas to, to realize that we both wanted, we both wanted the best for our mutual lover. And it could be funny sometimes in, you know, realizing what, what we, uh, you know, liked or found annoying about the mutual connection. I never had the experience of a lot of like an ongoing paramour, like where we were both connected to the same person for like months on end. Um, but when I had it in smaller or shorter time periods, it still was phenomenal and challenging and funny. And I want to tell you a story about one of those scenarios Uh, sometimes I think back to these scenarios I got myself in and I do wonder kind of like, like I sort of almost feel dizzy when I think about it. Like, oh my God, that sounds like, that sounds like a lot. (laughs) I wouldn't do that now. Um, but it also, I also really, I really believed that this exploration was important for me and also for culture and I still feel that way. I still feel like it was important. And I guess that philosophical belief was one of the reasons why I was willing to try these scenarios that were really uncomfortable. Like I wanted to learn from them. And I don't think if I had had, I think that's why I wanted to share some of the theory with you. Because because it feels important to consider and and because I don't think it's 
it's worth it without a deeper reason. <laughs> like, you know, it's tricky to work through feelings of jealousy. It's tricky to communicate well with a bunch of people. It's like, it's tricky to figure out how to tell people or not tell people about this thing that can get judged. It's hard to navigate family connections. Like, I wouldn't recommend this for the lighthearted. Or the, uh, is that light? Not lighthearted. Like, anyways, it's not easy. <laughs> it's probably much easier to just kind of like sleep around and not keep people informed. Uh, but I wouldn't recommend this for the faint at heart. That's the phrase. Oh, side note, a sort of classic manual about how to pull off the logistics of uh, ethical non-monogamy is a book called The Ethical Slut. And it's a great sort of like foundational text about like, yeah, how to pull this off, how to talk about it down to details of like how to deal with STIs and boundaries and all that stuff. Yeah, great text to read if you're even curious or definitely if you're thinking about any of trying out any of these things okay back to the story about uh being on the same team as a paramour so once upon a time there okay scene is there's a woman who i'm going to call natalie visiting the place where thomas and i lived and <laughs> this story has some pain points in it still. I can tell as I'm trying to tell it. And anyways, fa we'll fast forward over those parts to the point where there's like several evenings and we're trying to, like there's logistics of like, basically it comes down to like who's going to sleep where. And I was having an upset day. I was like not feeling good. Emotionally, probably also physically, I was super overwhelmed. I was, yeah, I was like fragile and I wanted to just have like a comforting night with my partner. And we were talking about sleeping arrangements and I said this and he said, well, actually, I want to sleep with Natalie. And I was really upset I was really upset and hurt and, and hurt. Yeah. And it didn't seem like a good call to me. Like I felt like he was losing track of, of like actually assessing the needs of everybody in the situation and then making the right decision or the best decision. So I said, can we please call Natalie in here and talk about it with her? Can we please talk about this with Natalie? Like, I don't want to decide it, just the two of us. Which is an unconventional and, and like, that's not the move of Natalie is my enemy, you know? That was, because what I was drawing on in that moment was that I felt like I could trust the conversations that Natalie and I had had, which was that, like, I really believed that both of us wanted it to be a good scenario for everybody. And she understood that I had a more like long-standing connection with Thomas and she was like the new kid on the block anyways. And so Natalie joined the conversation and we kind of like replayed it. I said what I wanted. 
And then Thomas said that actually he wanted to spend the night with Natalie. And Natalie couldn't believe it. She was like, no. She's like, no, of course, like, that's not a good idea. Like, like your partner's upset. Go spend the night with her. And, but by this point, (laughs) we were both, Natalie and I were like, what the fuck? Like, this is not the right call. Like, you're not. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyways, so at this point, you know, it didn't it didn't feel good for me to, like, have Thomas spend the night with me after he had expressly declared that he didn't want to. That wasn't the solution. <laughs> so Natalie and I both left and we went out to the fire and we spent probably like an hour, like, at the fire, uh, like talking, getting to know each other, like having a good time. And then she was sleeping in a tent and I was sleeping in a cabin and it's getting like colder and darker and later. I eventually said, do you want to join me in my cabin? Like it's a lot warmer. (laughs) So Natalie spent the night with me and Thomas lost. (laughs) Well, if we were the prize, Thomas lost out. And he spent the night by himself. And in the morning, a confused, apologetic Thomas came knocking at the cabin door and was very surprised to find both of us inside. And to me, that illustrates one. Well, it just illustrates that... Ah. Uh, paramours don't have to be against each other and that they they can discern sometimes what's what's best and I don't know if this is uh just true stereotypically but I would caution I would caution any man from trying to pull off an open relationship without being honest because because I think women or maybe I should broaden that to like intuitive creatures have have like a sixth sense about this shit like just don't try and pull it off without being honest yeah so what I remember from the experience with Natalie one I don't want to get in that configuration ever again (laughs) but beyond that I do take away this profound conviction that it's possible for paramours to not be enemies and I think this has broader implications about how how we treat each other in society and I think that even if we're not exploring a polyamorous sexual connection we would still do well to consider how how jealousy and possessiveness and ownership are connected. And I want to leave you with a word that I learned uh, that relates to this. And it's called, the word is, compersion. And compersion is basically the opposite of jealousy. So compersion is delighting in somebody else's pleasure or like delighting in somebody else's delight. So it's like you hear of somebody else having a good time and you are happy for them instead of jealous and 
this compersion muscle I don't think is often fostered. It's the opposite of competing. It's the opposite of just looking out for ourselves. And it's connected for me to a broader sense of interconnectedness. And if you want to take this really far out to maybe us all being part of a larger consciousness or a human experience or the universe or evolution, then what's happening to somebody else is, in a sense, also happening to the larger me, to the larger self. It's not apart from me. And compersion is the, is the felt recognition that somebody else's pleasure can bring, bring me pleasure. This could be in like the sexual turn-on sense of like watching somebody else get turned on and getting turned on, which you're probably familiar with, especially like in partnerships that like you can get used to having pleasure when your, your partner has pleasure. And so it's like that same muscle extended, even if you're not the one there witnessing or giving the pleasure. It's the capacity to still enjoy that you're that the person that you love had a great experience and it takes practice. <laughs> and I'm so grateful that I felt compersion because it's like, it has a different, it's almost like it's a flavor that I hadn't tasted before. And it's really delicious. And one of the techniques I learned was to hear about when I would hear from Thomas about experiences that were would be potentially like jealousy triggering I learned that if he went slow enough I could basically like breathe through the jealousy to to absorb his pleasure and feel compersion so literally, this would be like us talking. And if I wanted to know about a time he'd had with another woman, I I learned that I wanted to ask the questions. Like I wanted to control how much I learned because sometimes I didn't want to know much and sometimes I wanted to know a lot. And that I, if we paced the amount of information and the speed of it, I could actually slow down and like ride the wave of jealousy or whatever else was coming up, fear, insecurity, and ride it through to its completion, like while being close to him, while looking in his eyes, while holding his hand, while ha like having him watch my face do contortions of fear and breathe through it until I got to feeling and receiving that, that this had been a beautiful thing for him. And slowing it down so I could ride that wave in the moment, like as it was happening and say, whoa, slow down. Let me absorb that. It feels like it, it allow it. It's like it metabolized the experience instead of hardening into this, uh, gallstone is that those painful things that are really hard to pass I think they're gallstones <laughs> yeah like instead of it hardening into this thing that I couldn't digest by going slow enough and being there close with him as I 
received it. One of the things we learned is that I didn't want to hear this information on the phone. I didn't, while he was away, I didn't want to learn of other connections. I wanted to know, I wanted to be close to him physically and emotionally when, when I was digesting this, because that was reassuring to me. And it helped me to arrive at compersion. So, in conclusion, I hope you heard a little bit of some of what we use marriage for, or have used it for, how marriage and ownership could be considered connected, along with paternal certainty, how polyamory questions all those and provides another alternative. I hope you heard some entry points to understanding polyamory of ways that we already feel the expansiveness of love or the consecutive possibility of loving people and how polyamory in one way can be seen as the collapsing of that time so that the love is simultaneous instead of consecutive. And that jealousy does have an alternative which is compersion, and that love can be understood to not be a finite resource that runs out, that there are finite variables that greatly complicate and influence how to pull off ethical, simultaneous, intimate relationships. But I don't believe that love is the limiting factor on that. I think there's other ones. It's not love. And I just want to reiterate that uh, this is not me like necessarily suggesting you try this. <laughs> I, I'm not suggesting you not try it. I'm just because I, I basically believe it's completely circumstantial and personal. But I wanted you to have this to draw on if, if you or somebody close to you is exploring a polyamorous relationship that instead of jumping to judgment or to confusion or to like wide-eyed disbelief that they're actually pulling it off i wanted you to give i wanted to give you some some background some entry points about how how it's possible to think about and to enact yeah and That is all I have talking and capacity for. So by no means is that the end of all I could say, but it's the end of what I can say well right now. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. And thank you for allowing these thoughts to have a little bit of airtime in your psyche. I've been on this kind of relationship strain for a while now, and I think it might be time for like a super, a super like practical stuff episode. Like, I feel like the next one might be something like, like how to keep your shoes waterproof or something like that. I feel like I need to get, uh, just even for my own balancing, I need to get like really 
just gritty with some stuff, you know, like relationship to physical things. So no guarantees, but I suspect that's where we're going next. And I'm glad you're along for the ride. Uh, Assuming that you either have listened to more than one or might listen to me again. (laughs) If not, glad you listened to this one. Okay. And if you'd like to be in touch, I love hearing from you. I love hearing what you've listened to, what you enjoyed. If you have any questions, if there's things you want me to expand on, like audience participation, interaction, really great for me. Like really, really jazzes me up. So you can get in touch on Instagram at Magic for Realists. I'm so glad that some of you have reached out and said hi that way and sent me messages. Makes me really happy. And the other way is through my website, at which is magicforrealists.ca. And yeah, you can also get a sense, if you're on Instagram, of sense of the other things happening in my life that I maybe don't talk about on the podcast as much, like little things I notice that are beautiful, or sewing projects that I'm up to, things like that. So always happy to... Uh, say hi on Instagram. Okay, that is it for now. And I hope that in whatever kinds of relationships you are in, that you experience some magic in them this week, in a real practical, touching, feeling, talking way. And I also hope that you get to practice a little bit of compersion in whatever relationship structure or situation you are in. I believe there's There's always possibility to delight in somebody else's delight. So I hope that you notice that this week. And bye for now.